1: Welcome to the Build Business Acumen Podcast, where we deliver practical knowledge and powerful guidance. Here is your futuristic host, Nathaniel Skula. I'm interviewing Daniel Yarmuluk today, and he is an IoT, AI professional and an adjunct professor well hey Dan it's really great to speak to you again I'm quite excited actually because you and I share this love of automation and ai and and data clearly you know a lot more data more about data than i do and you know you've been studying data science uh, from from what i what i understand and I, thought, I just find it so exciting, like the world that we're living in, and and there's all this doom and gloom, you know, about us losing jobs and we're going to die, and you know, and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, well, actually, if we're if we're keeping an eye on what's really going on, we should be able to stay ahead, right, and 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 stay upbeat and actually create really exciting jobs for people, reduce the working hours because look, we're all working too many hours, yeah. And, and 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 a lot of people are doing things they don't enjoy doing. So what do you think about about that?
0: Well, I, I do yeah, I, I think it's gonna solve You know for me, you know one side of the equation is the, the jobs and you know as they is the status quo today But what's interesting to me is what solves problems can we solve tomorrow? I mean a big one I've had many people in my life affected by cancer And, you know, with these tools of mapping the genome or micro-targeting certain kind of things and having a better understanding or the idea of, you know, um, the computer being able to go through a database of millions of uh, tumors instead of a radiologist. Just think how, how many photos a radiologist or tumor types he can kind of absorb, a thousand maybe, which I think is probably way out of line and understand the nuances versus a specific Italian doctor nailing some certain thing and then you can leverage that information i think will provide us just much more exact customized solutions for the masses so i'm excited about the solutions and i opt for that over uh disruptions in certain segments of the market you know so i'm excited i'm super excited to be participating in it and being an observer at this time in history
1: yeah yeah me too i mean you know you know as well as i do because you, you 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 come from, so you've moved into a, uh actually industry right so you're you're focused on kind of automating tasks and things like this these days or or because or, you have a background in, in data science and now you've moved into industry right
0: yeah so my background was an mba guy selling kind of data solutions for decades globally and then I, I just had this interest and I kind of audited some classes in data science and then got my master's and now I teach in the graduate programs of software. So I'm a late, I'm a late comer, but come from a different angle. So I think that that has value. Um, and yes, I'm in industrial kind of automation or predictive maintenance, predictive analytics and, you know, looking at the sensors of, of, of rotating equipment. And, and if we look at all the data that's coming in, all these different kinds of leading indicators and lagging indicators and weak indicators, when you put them in that constellation, you can get a predictive element so that we're getting more productivity out of a particular machine. So it is an industrial play, Um, but it's, uh, it's interesting to break down specific processes and try to find automation steps in there. They're all micro steps and baby steps, but when you add them all together, starts becoming quite interesting.
1: So there's a lot of hype right around all of this, yeah? You know as well as I do, people are like saying they want AI for this and that and everything else. And it's like, well, has anything really changed since I sat in a meeting in, when was this? 2014, 2015, I was invited to sit with IBM around a round table with like the head of, editor of Wired and all these people. And I was quite worried about the, the disruptions in jobs then, yeah? And then in 2015, Hitachi hired the robot uh, warehouse manager that re- that, re- that increased productivity by like by nine percent or ten percent in 24 hours. Right of taking over managing humans. It wasn't like oh, well, let's just get a bit of advice from a, a robot. It was like manage humans is how they put it. So but I don't think anything's really changed since then. Yeah. Uh, All right. There are a few more test cases. You've got Wimbledon who, who pioneered in 2015, the, the AI using the database to create the real time updates of how fast the shot was. And, 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 you know, if it was the, the second fastest shot since the history of Wimbledon. So they based all these things on the databases that they had. Right. But, it's all about the database, isn't it? And then taking that database, entering it into the AI, and then asking the right questions, isn't it? it it's not a magical formula, is it? No, I mean, a,
0: a lot of the backbone is 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 data. And um, this is what's kind of interesting about, you know, the book by Kai-Fu Lee on um, AI superpowers, China AI and the New World Order, is that, um, you need a massive amount of data. So we got, we got a couple different things when we talk about artificial intelligence, right? We got machine learning and deep learning and deep. Can I just stop you there? What's the difference? So deep learning or neural networks is supposed to emulate, you know, various kind of mimicking the uh, different kinds of neural networks in the brain and how it has certain levels and that the, the, the computer can emulate the kind of different filtering mechanisms and interpret things. Um, And machine learning can be rules-based and a little bit more technical in in, in doing things like classification, spam or not spam. Never sent an email to this person, it looks suspicious, therefore it's spam. So I think there is some ways that AI and machine learning in terms of classification um, is, you know, which is a very defined set of variables and parameters. And then being able to decipher is it a or b so a classification mechanism and it can be kind of complicated and i can give you an example where um, i have a contact and friend and uh one of the biggest patent attorneys in the world has created a paralegal process that he has automated so uh, in intellectual property there's all this queuing up of documents called so they call that docketing and this goes through either the American, EU, or Asian regulatory bodies where, you know, you file a patent and then you have so many days to, or months to file it back. And these are hundreds or about thousands of, of very specific documents and thresholds to get your, uh, you know, your patent application accepted and this, all these gates. Well, pretty uh, sophisticated, educated paralegals were doing this for years, but the accuracy becomes difficult, it's a very mundane task, where right? you gotta have a specialized skill at the same time, it's very boring. So it, it seems to be a recipe for disaster, or you have the most librarian type mind. And when you're doing that en masse as the number three, this person I was referencing is the number three patent attorney globally. You know, he was a machine and he had to, he looked at like, how do I, if the people aren't paying for these paralegal kind of functions, how do I automate this? So first, we went through that. He went through that period of Indian offshoring and using Indian talents, but the accuracy and in Indian labor rates were going up such that you know um, it, the turnover was high, so we couldn't train them fast enough, as well as human accuracy issues. So he automated baby steps, baby steps, baby steps, and then it went you know longer and longer and longer to be an entire docketing solution. So all that docketing, paralegal work. And if there's exceptions to that, all the variables don't work, it it spits it out, and then the paralegal looks at it. So accuracy, speed, and more importantly, the lawyer can work on more strategic issues. Should we be filing this patent? How does this patent look in the constellation of Asian AI patents out there, as an example? So I always see this as a great thing, um, but it will change kind of the – you know, the, the, where people are working, there is going to be a disruption in labor. But like the question that you and I have is like, where, where do we focus our efforts and where do we educate our kids? Very much so.
1: Very much so. I mean, I think that the most important thing, far as I'm concerned, is just making them adaptable. They need to learn how to adapt and pivot very fast and they need to learn and be continual learners. As soon as they finish university, jump into a job and they think they know everything. And a lot of people find that actually they don't know anything at all. And that, that yeah. that's when you begin learning is when you realize that you know nothing. right? I mean, I forget the wise man that said that, but that's my, that's my philosophy. That's why I launched this podcast, because I get to talk to amazing people like you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm trying to keep up with the amazing people. I mean, so the, I think it begs the question. What, you know, what are our best human elements? And I think it's the what questions to ask, right? I mean, the computer can do the heavy lifting and gronking of databases, but that doesn't mean the question that you're asking is the right question, or it's a meaningful question or problem to solve. So, I mean, you're right. I think the human has to be adaptable, has to be open to different approaches. And the thing that's interesting, it's not really just about AI, right? It's about all these different technologies accelerating at the same time and as peter Diamandis calls exponential technologies they're converging and they often look kind of deceptive they look snapchat-ish they look like young demographic and cutesy but what really is is rocking it is the underlying ways in which people communicate um, how easy it is to send files and paper and, and solve things and automate certain things so i i I kind of wrap it up in digital transformation or cloud computing or you know quantum computing, but you know as you see, robotics, 3D printing, material sciences, all these things are are witnessing exponential growth, which which goes into this cosmic.
1: <laughs> I've just held up my I'm sorry, I, I hate to do that, but my friend Eric, yeah, he's really into his tech
0: bought okay.
1: a 3D printer and and one day. He gave me like he he printed like this 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 wanger, yeah. And I was like, No way, man, you just give me a three D printed knob, yeah. You know. Yeah.
0: And I was just and then or the eggs of the audience that's a three D printed little thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a, this is not a knob. I would I I put that in my drawer. <laughs> I might have sent it to someone, but the, the, the future is bright. Like there are so many opportunities out there to kind of marry your enthusiasm for life and your skills with technology. But in my in my mind, right, I'm actually I'm actually sitting back and I'm thinking, well, it's really about the companies and the people who are leading the companies and what their ethics are, and actually how they're looking at the world. They need to say, well, okay, we're not going to automate this particular. because we think it's going to be better with a human doing it because it's pointless having a business that's got two employees that makes 20 billion dollars a year right so so then it's like well what what gifts can these people bring to the world through that business and then how are we going to use the ai to sit alongside them to make it better right because you know, I, I was I was talking with David Matheson, who I know you you know the the CDO Summit founder. Uh, yesterday, interviewed him, and he was talking about this new book that's come out, which actually talks about how, rather than the second machine age, and how how you should actually give people universal basic income. Which to anyone that doesn't know, that's just like meeting the needs, the basic living expenses of everyone on the planet. He said, rather than doing that, this this gentleman, I forget what the name of his book is, actually. I've got it written down. I think it's called Team Human. I don't know Team Human. I read almost every book. So so what the guy's saying is, rather than actually doing the universal basic income, that we should not give them income, but give them a stake in one of these tech companies, so that then they can actually grow and then make money and own shares in the business and then grow with the business. So it's a bit like the blockchain thing of a new social network and giving away uh, shares in the in the blockchain social network and saying, well, you bring in x amount of people and then you're you're gonna you're gonna actually grow your income in the future instead of having something that has no employees.
0: Yeah, and I've also heard statements. Like, well, what, what, what is the right task for humans to be working on? Meaning, maybe it's rethinking our idea of value that if we're having an aging population and more of them are living longer, uh, caretakers, because it's a very human thing, and letting machines do machine-type things and, and valuing and compensating people for taking care of the elderly in a different way, which is time, love, concern. So those are interesting Interesting, you know, uh, thoughts, and I think we're going to be reckoning with some of these things. But the ones that I feel that are going to win in this new world is is solving people's problems. I mean, the market will basically speak. I think the dissension is happening where people are looking towards the future. They sense it. At the same time, they got to recover their store or their P today, and it's a big reckoning between what the new is and what the old is. And that's the disruption of these things. I mean, Sears in the United States here, you know, Sears was a big department store. You see that sign going down. Is it all e-commerce where they're, were they ignoring the market signs? I mean, there's probably a whole, there's a huge story there, but uh, things are changing and, you know, millennial buying pa- patterns are, are are changing what they, what they value. And quite honestly, I don't think the status quo has been equitable for for everybody as is so I think the shaking it up is is potentially a good
1: thing. yeah I agree I mean I think I think I think certainly in terms of in terms of mediocre service mediocre brands mediocre quality yeah we've become a nation certainly don't know about in America but we've accepted the fact it's okay to buy buy something that you feel vaguely happy about like it's okay that you you know you buy something and it and it breaks you know i mean i bought a um i bought like a a tripod right it was actually for my for my camera and it broke within a week i found one in a charity shop for the same price yeah it's like 10 times the original price yeah it was like you know, a 95 pound tripod, right? I've still got it. I, you know, I could hit someone over the head with it and it would still be all right in 15 years. And it's like, I think actually that we're going to become better at looking after the high quality products. I mean, I looked at, um, a video from one of my, one of my friends the other day, they'd been in Grenada and, and seen a distillery that, that's in Grenada, right? Cause I mentioned my godfather's invested in a, in a new distillery out there. So they are sourcing the, the, the cane from the field and then they're actually fermenting that one that one bit of sugar cane that particular day and then they're doing full traceability of the of the product, yeah. right? All the way through to you know temperature controlled storage and then you know, all all the way through, right? To the shelf it will be, I would think. And yeah. and 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 that kind of thing's quite exciting. But Then I looked, I looked at this old piece of machinery and and, and my dad would have loved it. It was basically, it was, it was like some kind of water powered crushing machine that pressed all of the, all of the sugar cane. And then, and then there's this like little, little channel where the, where the river of sugar cane water comes through and, and then it goes out and it goes into this tank. And then it's, if we can, if we can help to tell those stories, of these amazing products and amazing places, yeah, and it's all quite exciting. I think the future is very exciting.
0: I, I think the big boys are waking out because they're they're they're, you know, these things like supply chain and, and understanding where our ingredients come from, food. You know, if you had that blockchain traceability, I know they're starting to do it in Walmart, where we can understand that that, that indeed comes from that farm. I mean that's what we're willing to pay extra for, um, for those things. So I think it's it's democratizing, but it's at the same time, it's shaking up what we thought was normal. There is no new normal. And when we talk about being accepting of change and being comfortable with ambiguity, I've heard is the statement, you know, comfortable with not knowing. I think of it as a special forces team, how they got to take all these inputs and react and I think that's how we have to start thinking about things. And, I, you know, as, as a father of a 15-year-old daughter, I often wonder how this 1950s post-World War II infrastructure factory of education is servicing them for the future. I just, especially when you're talking like hardcore math and science, I'm a STEM guy, I'm a computer guy, believe me. But, you know, I don't know if the algorithm does that. If it if it if it's justified, it, it, like they should be applying it, not like learning over and over again for the test. You know, right. so I, I'm nervous about it. As we debate in the West of what's going on, I mean, China's rising. China's hungry. They have so many billions. Of, they got 1.3 billion people, and they don't. They look at you know iterating business models and the, the whole concept of them as a copycat nation also has lended well to this time in history, in the sense that they hyper iterate on a Twitter-like thing in China, add a payment function, and then all of a sudden it went from a cash society to a cashless society because everything could be paid on WeChat. And mind you, they have no regulatory issues with the data because they're trying to get ahead with governmental support. So you're like, wow, you know, all that engineering talent the government's investing trillions of dollars as well as opening it up. And the data's free as we're debating and wrestling with regulatory issues. But that's also okay, right? Like we, we can't assume that we own the world either. You know, there's a, there's a balance of participation in democratized communication. So it's just going to be a very interesting time. And I think we'll solve very complex problems. But, you know, there will be a shakeup in the distribution of income, no doubt.
1: Oh, very much so. But I think I think I mean, I was thinking about it, you know, I've been thinking about it for years since I sat around that round table with IBM and listened to the editor of Wired and a few sort of top, top people and I, that was in 2015 i think the fact is is that there are there is a lot of hype there are going to be a lot of people who are out of work but at the end of the day those people would potentially be out of work anyway because they're not they're not learning new skills they're not interested in 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 furthering their education yeah and that's that's a that's a big big problem yeah and and yeah you know i mean data is an analysis of it and using ai is in everything it underpins everything internet of things security every, everything right like if you if you think like the amount of the amount of cdos which if people don't know what that means it's a chief data officer or a chief digital officer one or the other it doesn't doesn't actually matter too much because they're actually almost merged those two those two things or at least they should they should have merged and a lot of those have been promoted to the CEO now because they've actually done such a great job as the, as the CDO that they were like, well, this guy's done so much. We're going to promote him to the CEO, you know? Yeah. And
0: Yeah, it is definitely. It's definitely changing. And I, I find it uh, incredibly exciting. You know, so there is a lot of hype. I think we're digitizing, you know, small portions of problems and how do you apply them? And I talked to an interesting guy from uh, uh, Deloitte's analytics team, and he said that a lot of CEOs are asking him from AI, and he says, well, what do you want to do? And he said, well, automate. And automate suggests you know, cutting costs, cutting humans or cutting processes and cutting costs. And he goes, yeah, but realize for the next couple of years, you got to maintain your current staff, add another staff to add the machine learning models, and then that has to be tweaked and maintained. So that that is a net addition of jobs in the short and medium term as they try to get to automate. So this kind of redistribution of, of job tasks and jobs, I mean, is, is, is to be questioned. And I, I, I think you're right. There's, there's opportunity to get educated. And now, speaking of disruption or digital infrastructures, I mean there's so many certifications you can get online. It begs the question: Do you need a computer science degree if you got all these certifications from all these agencies? So, so it's all shaken up. And again, what's the value? Should I drive two hours after work, or should I take a class online for one one hundredth of the price? Yeah, yeah. From so you can take a machine learning course from Andrew Ning yeah. from Stanford, and he founded Coursera, and he's or I can do it for four thousand down
1: the street. Right, like so. This. again, the value yeah but it, you know it is nice to meet other people and and, and get that extra bit of absolutely absolutely and do that on social and everything but I think I think from where I'm sitting the education I mean I've been learning Spanish for years and the first time I really accelerated my Spanish was when I downloaded a duolingo Spanish app right and and if Duolingo can become the the, the most downloaded education app here in the world right okay they are doing something right. All it takes is someone with a freaking brain to go, "Oh well, maybe I'll build one, uh, and I'm going to do it for business." Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. they've got, then they've got the next education disruption. Yeah. But the thing is, is that it's not the same as going to a top school, yeah, uh, or, or or even a, a good school, and actually meeting people face to face and get. Getting... Look, well,
0: you're absolutely right. But like when you when you think not everybody can.
1: Yeah. So it just
0: democratizes
1: that option
0: so yeah. is it right or wrong it's different it's an option and for the person that wants to do it and has the gumption to do it they can they they can learn something whether it's yeah. as good I, I i am not a you know even though i teach part-time i'm not i'm not in the educational theory i don't know all that stuff but you know um i'm just looking at the options to access the information yeah. and then that, that is pretty interesting i mean i also heard people there was a really really interesting ted talk about this gentleman was an educator in in like rural india and he his, his office butted up against an indian slum and he put a computer terminal in the wall poor children in india would go up to the terminal and they learned how to speak in english and program and they kind of like with nothing just a terminal sticking out so that that tells you with the people that have the uh, ambition to learn what they can learn. And they, they replicated the experiment through India at bus stops. So then the question becomes, we can scale up cell phones, but we can't scale up humans that are educated to go in uh, all parts of rural India. So it's just, you know, I, I say that and to, to think of the problem you want to apply. It's not just AI, AI, AI. what are we going to do with it? Where are we going to put it? And whatever you just remember, whenever you're doing machine learning or any of these things, it takes a hyper sophisticated person in domain to rate these things. And and so you got a complex computer problem, you got a complex domain problem, and then you have a complex execution problem. So all those things are going to have to be in place to maybe have a shot. So we're going to see so many pilots and failed experiments that this is kind of like a revolution. The futurists that I read say that, you know, 50% of the Fortune 500 are going to be out of business in the next yeah. seven to 10 years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think they probably will. You know, there's so much hype and so much, and they're so slow, a lot of these companies and- So slow.
0: So slow. I mean, my, my buddies as, as well as you and the people you interview are telling me they're on internal conference calls for seven hours a day in this large globally matrixed organization. And then you're going to have some small digital company as Slack and Uber that just just pierces right through it because they're slow. And um, so then this gets into where I think the battlefront is, Nate, where I really think the battle is, is this whole cloud agile development sandbox where whether that be AWS, IBM, Azure, people are being able to develop things in the cloud in a risk-free, cheap way that's available to all and experiment. And the more you get up to bat, the more you're uncomfortable trying new things. You know, some experiments will succeed. So I don't think the battle is in AI. I, I, I personally think the trench warfare, the, the, the forefront of the warfare, is people doing experiments in the cloud with this cloud agile development, you know, microservice world. That's where I yeah firmly believe like the first inning, first round, whatever you want to call it, is, that's where it's at.
1: Yeah, because they already have loads of the infrastructure already built they've got they've got a lot of the data built they've got a lot of the questions and answers built they've got they got loads of stuff built and you can do it in 200 languages it's going to translate it for you just like that right
0: i know it's guys that are talking across the pond i mean and that are well traveled i mean just the idea of the whole google earbuds we saw six months ago and translating i mean this is insane. this is just That's a marvelous thing. Now that if if we can think of a world where Nate, we're in China and communicating independently with people through, I don't care, phones, apps, you know, and just communicating in a human way. I mean, That just seems
1: super exciting to me. Yeah, and me. Well, look, I'm going to leave you to it because I've got to jump on another podcast. Dan, thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe and wherever you prefer, share with your friends And if you enjoyed the show, drop us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen.
0: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.